thank you for joining us. This is episode four of Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are myself, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Chris Weber, Andy Cottom, and Kevin Buckner decided that going to Megadeth was a little more important than this podcast. It's kind of hard to blame him for that, too. Can't blame him, no. Nah, not gonna. No, I'm gonna blame him for that. I, I'm gonna blame him for that. Ah, uh, well, okay. Kind of hard for me to blame him. Andy can blame <laughs> him all he wants. Andy, you spoke up first. What projects have you been working on this week? Well, I haven't really been working on too many projects myself. I, I found that my printer's got a little bit of an issue that I need to work out first before uh, digging into anything new. I've I've got some uneven layer lines um along the z-axis i need to figure i got a little bit of slack somewhere coming from somewhere so i think i just got to sit down and, and print a couple you know walls and uh, experiment to see if i can find where it's coming from because my print quality has gone down a little bit still usable if i need to print anything in a pinch but it's not going to be super super pretty like they usually are so okay no no real new projects this week because of that gotta love the whole maintenance thing Chris, you got any projects? Uh, yeah, I uh, made a hairbrush holder. So my my I I live with girls. Yes, there's okay tons of hairbrushes in the bathroom. So anyway, there's they. I was cleaning the bathroom last weekend, and they just kept falling off the shelves, getting in the way. And I says, I'm gonna find and make a nice little place for people where you can just hang them right there and stop wasting the shelf space and falling all over things and yeah cool the wife is still figuring out where she wants to put it but i'm insisting that she does (laughs) (laughs) i could use something like that in my bathroom got like three or four hairbrushes that kind of float around and occasionally the dog finds them and and then we got half hairbrushes (laughs) i still use mine after the dog gets to them I do too. There, there's no, no. It, need it still to does the hair, up. right? As, yeah, as yeah, long as at least of the bristles the there. Bristles are there. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's not like they're super cheap or anything. Nah, no kidding. You know how hard it is to print a hairbrush. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I'm gonna have to test that. <laughs> no, um, I like the boar's hair brush for my beard. But I haven't really brushed my hair, like, on my head in years. I usually wow. just keep it so short it doesn't matter. Wow. You know, I'm still using that old CPU I glued together for my mustache and beard. It's nice. <laughs> those were awesome. They stopped making CPUs with those pins. I know. <laughs> it's kind of a shame. There is nothing better than combing out a mustache with one of those, I'll tell you that. Uh, for anybody else who doesn't know, um, the old CPUs used to have pins sticking out of the bottom of them. Gold and pins. Chris, yeah. Chris would take uh, one of the covers from the expansion slots on a box and bend it down and solder it onto the back of those old CPUs, and they made a really good beard brush. They were really good. I still got mine that Chris made for me. Still use it. have to occasionally bend pins back, but... Now that I grow a fuller beard, I like using a head brush on my beard, but 
nothing beats it on the mustache, man. She can just sit there and just do it just for the good feelings. <laughs> yep. I love that. <laughs> yeah, give me a boar's hair brush any day. I don't think I've used one before. The- um, a, a really good one has got stiffer bristles. I've used some that have uh, softer boar's hair. I, I guess they're longer cut or whatever, and they just don't do the job. And occasionally my beard will get long enough that the brush doesn't do any good, and I just switch to a wooden comb. Okay. Um, I've seen a couple that I kind of want to check out. And every time I think about it, I think, you know what? I've got regular combs, you know, that get some of the, the eight inch long combs. Yeah. And I've got a couple of picks and those do the job just as well as anything else. And there's no point in putting money into more until they get lost or broken. That and they, works. Haven't done, they haven't done that for five years or more. So <laughs> not going to happen in the near future. Well, that's good. That's very good. I guess we're down to me. I've done a lot this week. I didn't realize how much until I looked at my notes. Um, I designed and printed off some bed sheet clips. And I designed them like a garter clip. Um, So it's got this little flexible nub. My first uh, TPU print where you put the sheet over that. And then you've got a holder that the nub goes into and captures that little bit of cloth. And then I can put that on um, some paracord and it'll pull the sheet tight so that our adjustable bed doesn't end up naked halfway through the night. That's a brilliant idea. Uh, I I did something fairly similar, but I used um, normal um, clips like suspender clips, except the adjustable part I printed out of TPU. Uh, so that I could just weave it through the adjustable part, and I used some some mule tape, some construction mule tape, to make a, a band. That way, I could hold down the fitted sheet on our bed too. So, mm. okay. But wow. that that garter clip, I wish I would have thought about that because the clips I use, the suspender clips, are tearing up the sheets. Your garter clips sound like a brilliant idea. You'll have to tell um, me how well those work out later. I um, will do. Ask you for your STLs. Yeah, I can do shoot them over. I decided to reprint my cable chain for my printer. And while I was doing that, um, I've moved the console for my printer from the left side to the right side, and it's not designed for that. So the control cable that goes to um, the control module on the gantry Mm -hmm. is now going across the whole gantry, and it's actually going over the bar in the middle. Okay. And... um, as the carriage gets farther to the right side, I kept worrying about it pinching that cable and eventually wearing it out. Yeah. So I designed a guide to go over the, the mount for the cable chain in the first place that just holds up that cable and keeps it off of the out of the way of the car as it goes farther to the right. And I usually don't print anything that's tall enough to worry about the cable being pulled tight as it goes higher. And so it's a good setup. And now I have easy access to the control module for my printer. Yeah. And uh, yeah, little peace of mind on that. I haven't seen too many people use the uh, chains uh, like that for most printers. And I considered it myself, but I wound up just taking and 
just suspending the cables at the very apex of the um, the gantry. Uh, so they go you know, from the control box up to the very top of the gantry and then come back down to the carriage. And that way, when the Z-axis comes up, it's suspended. I just used a rubber band to suspend it from the gantry. That way, uh, as the carriage comes up, it releases the tension and the whole um, the extra cableage comes up with it. So I can still print my full volume. But that way, there's not that much movement in the cableage at all to prevent the same thing you're talking about. But the the heated bed on my Z-axis is definitely an issue with it coming out all the time, bending that cable all the time. And I, I wound up printing a, a nice cable relief um, for for it so that it doesn't you know bend in the same place back and forth. But I am a little worried personally of that going bad because that particular plate, the heater plate, is 120 volts. It doesn't run off the 24 volt. Um, <laughs> it's kind of cool on the inside. The power supply that the the TiVo comes with is the, is a normal power supply designed to be able to run a bed off of 24 volts, but instead it just runs a relay, and then that just relays straight 110 to the bed. And it uses 110 volts there, which is great because it heats up really fast and stuff. But that's a much heavier gauge cable running to the bed and a lot easier to break. I could see it breaking off of the little wires on the inside until there was only a couple hooked up to it. And then those couple are, you know, a, a place where it could be building up heat from and it could be a fire hazard. So that's, yeah, that's definitely a that. worry. Wow. I have looked at some of the chains for the, the bed. And I just haven't gotten as far as building them yet. I've seen a lot of the chains for the um, the carriage, but I haven't really ever seen any for the bed. That's kind of cool. Yeah, there's a few on Thingiverse worth looking at. For my machine, it looks like pretty much all of them are going to need to be modified so that um, they mount correctly at either end of the cable. Okay. But that shouldn't be too much trouble for uh, for a maker like you. <laughs> I'll have to experiment with that a little bit. That might be a good way to go for that particular problem. It should be a lot easier for you to find stuff too, because almost everybody has a Creality, it seems. You would think it would be easier, but I think that people just love the machine so much that they don't expect anyone else to find their design stuff as useful, so they just don't share it. I got to admit, that's one of the reasons why I kind of stopped sharing on uh, Thingverse. It was just there was like very few views and very few downloads, you know? Yeah, I keep thinking I should take all the stuff I've designed and put it up there just as a, a curiosity, you know? Yeah. I mean, I love looking through Thingiverse. It's a great place to be able to get ideas of things to build and stuff like that. But to be honest, I, I don't really print off of Thingiverse myself. Well, I think that's because you guys really love making stuff too. I'm, True. I don't put as much time into it probably as I would like to, but you know, for for most most of what I come across, I go, okay, I would like a thing for that. I go to Thingiverse, and nine times out of ten, Thingiverse has it. So I just there it is. You got a very good point, and a lot of people, even if it's not a time issue, there could be a you know a skill issue of just not knowing how to run any kind of CAD software. So, for those exactly. one or two downloads that you get off of Thingiverse, you know you might have really helped that one or two people who can't design stuff on their own. For sure, for sure. So uh, this week's topic, 
we decided to continue the tools discussion um, because Kevin's at the, the concert and it felt like we had a lot more that we could talk about. And since we're here, um, we've got a software episode on the books. So we're not going to go in too deep on it, but uh, what kind of software do you guys use as tools? Um, you were just talking CAD program there, Andy. Which one do you use? Yeah, I love SolidWorks personally. It's what I cut my teeth with. It's probably not the best out there, but it's the one that I know how to use the best. Okay. And I'm probably like 20% proficient with the software package, which I would like to think is actually quite a bit because it's a pretty complicated package. Kind of robust. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can do a lot with it. But I'm sure there are better ones out there. But it's what it works. What works for me works out pretty good. And I'm also a user of Cura. So and um, then there's also like I've written some software in the past. Uh, this is something that might be interesting to you guys. Um, the original TiVo Tornado is a Bowden style printer, and you guys know that you cannot print TPU with a Bowden printer very well at all. It's a it's very problematic, and I ran into that. And as you probably have heard, I really love TPU, so I want to be able to do it. It's it's a good like fifty percent of everything I print is printed in TPU, so it was important for me to to be able to do it. And and with printing TPU, I was having a huge problem with nozzle clogs, and so one of the things I would do is sit there and watch the print, and whenever it started to clog up. I found that if I just pull the filament out and push it back in is all it usually ever needs. And it would start printing again. And this is after doing all the normal things. I mean, I've completely replaced the entire hot end a bunch of times, new nozzles, all that other kind of stuff, different brands of TPU. Yeah. I'm sure it has just a lot to do with the way the, 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 the Bowden is putting it in a situation to where it can clog up easy. But these, process i'm doing of pulling it out and pushing it back in to get it going again well that's just a retraction which goes completely against what you see online all the time about people saying don't do any retractions with tpu and i found that doing these manual retractions is keeping my nozzles from clogging up hmm. and so i wrote some software to go through g-code to inject retractions into random spots throughout the entire print and that software package I made is, I, I think it's actually pretty decent. It uses a lot of Cura's um, uh, remarks within the G code to give me options of like only apply retractions on the on the outer or on the inner shells or only within the infill or don't do it on the bottom layer or the very top layer or all sorts of stuff like that. And to also graph out the length of each extrusion in between retractions. And how much of the retraction you want to inject G-code-wise into it. But I wound up writing that software, and I was always using that almost immediately after going from SolidWorks to Cura, and then going to that package before going to the printer. Uh, whenever mm. I did TPU, it was always those three packages of software is what I was using. Okay. Cool. So if anybody out there is, uh, is trying to print TPU on a Bowden system and wants to give my tool a shot, uh, feel free to reach out to us. I'd be more than happy to uh, to send you a link to it. It's it's not something that I really publish anywhere, but if it could help someone print in TPU and or they're struggling and want to give this an, a, a shot, I'm more willing to share it. And you can reach Andy at 
Andy at amateur3dpod.com. Perfect. So I was actually having a conversation with a coworker about SolidWorks just yesterday. Um, and we were, he was saying that he's still using the student edition, but he's going to need to get the regular edition pretty soon because his student's uh, edition is going to expire. And he says, you know, SolidWorks may not be the best SAD CAD software out there, but everybody uses it because they provide the free student editions. And so that's what everybody knows, and that's what everybody goes with when they're done with school. And the student editions is pretty robust. Uh, it's not missing a lot of what you get from the professional versions. And the professional versions include things that you probably wouldn't be using uh, when you're just designing stuff for your 3D printer. So yep. I know a lot of the motion studies, or not motion studies, the flow studies of like fluid simulation and stuff like that, I don't think are included in the, um, in the education version. But uh, that's not something that you would really be using. Yeah. yeah, if you're using it for just, you know, producing a, an STL. But we, yeah, we were just talking about, you know, I uh, I haven't used SolidWorks in 20 years, you know, and it was a lot different back 20 years ago. And so I was just saying that uh, I was having a little trouble catching up, you know, to the, to the, to the new versions as well. And he says, well, you know, everybody still uses it, you know, and you used it in school and I used it in school. It's uh, pretty, pretty robust simply because so many people use it, I think. Yeah. I think you use one that's web-based, don't you, Frank? I do. Um, my CAD program is Fusion 360. You don't really keep files on your local machine. You do, so it can cache. But um, they all upload to the cloud and can be shared that way. I got accustomed to CAD program designing again with FreeCAD. And that one did real good for just reminding me how to do the stuff. And kind of like Chris, I used one a long time ago. I've mentioned that my dad was a machinist and he got to bring home a CAD program. Um, it's kind of on the higher end and not necessarily well known to everybody, certainly not in the 3D space, but it's a master camp. And the uh, Windows 95 version of that is the one that I played with back in the day. Um, okay. That's actually, I played with that. And then when I got to the math where they were talking about uh, Cartesian coordinates, I understood what they were talking about because I'd been playing with that program. So that was nice. Okay. Um, That's cool. But yeah, otherwise I use Cura. Um, they just up, or, uh, updated the software to version 5 and which doesn't work on Windows 7 by the way. Oh, that's a bummer. Just FYI. <laughs> Maybe yeah. you should get a legit version of Windows and actually update. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually I do have a legit version of Windows. It's just on my old laptop drive. I need to swap it into that PC I'm using for my um i'm using for my printer there so <laughs> yeah and if he's got a laptop that means he's got a you know a an actual version somewhere is it i was genuinely one, so. teasing anyway yeah Chris. all my other computers. i promise <laughs> i'm sorry uh it's the only that came across harder than it's I the only for it too. 
I know I used to always have a pirated edition of Windows on my PCs at home, but I actually have legit copies on all of them, except for that we one. We were all young <laughs> once. <laughs> I've moved. You guys know how much I pirated stuff, and I've, I've actually gotten away from that myself. I've, it's all legit now, and it's it's kind of got its benefits of not having to worry about getting a virus or something on your machine. Well, and being able to get service for it if you need it something over your head too is always nice yeah so yeah so i use cura too also like you guys um i didn't cover the slicer that came with my printer because it was garbage <laughs> and i think it was i think it was a similar one to what kevin kevin said he got kevin said the one that came with his photon hmm. is garbage also but yeah it was the it's the slicer but the last e is uh three you know. Yeah, that used to be a really good one back in the day, and it, it's still got its benefits here or there. A lot of people have written some pretty neat things to be able to, you know, use that particular slicer for. So it does have its benefits, but yeah, I think overall it's kind of outdated. I, I personally love Kira, and I believe Kira 5.0, the basic, not the beta version, but I think the basic one includes the new. Um, what's it called the arcadia engine um or something like that that's a uh, a new system with kira that i was very interested in a while back because i would love to be able to switch to a slightly larger nozzle but you lose a lot of the detail in your models and this uh kira arcadia um uh, no arachnia yeah i'm gonna look it up real quick and get the actual name for it but uh, this particular slicing engine has the ability to be able to give you prints done with a 0.6 millimeter head uh, the same quality you would find in a 0.4 millimeter head. But then you'd be able to keep the benefits of the the speed. I mean, not many people care about speed and, and we shouldn't be caring about speed, but uh, you know, being able to uh, make slightly larger beads does give us a lot more ability to do stronger overhangs without needing supports okay. and things like that. So it's got a lot yeah, of benefits. I can see that. It. Is it the uh, Arachnia engine, I believe is what it's called? Yes, Cura 5 includes the Arachne engine. So that's, you might notice if you switch to Cura 5, that when you go to slice it, you're going to be having a lot better uh, details in your smaller prints than you did with the original engine. Yeah, I might, get, I might put a little downtime on my printer to upgrade that PC finally. I mean... I'm surprised it doesn't work with Windows 7. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah, well, Windows 7 had a lot of issues uh, with um, micro Microsoft integrated packaging. It was it was saying, oh, these don't exist, so we can't run. Oh, this doesn't exist, oh. so we can't run. And it's just stuff that only exists on Windows huh. 10. So, I see. So it looks like we had cleaning and maintenance on our list this time around. Um, as far as cleaning is concerned, yeah, I just use some soapy water dish soap um, so that it cleans up any of the oils from my skin that I, I try not to touch the build plate, for one. But it happens. So the, the dish soap helps get that off of the plate. And um, just room temperature water. And I've got a, uh, uh, some green Scotch-Brite pads. And microfiber tire towels. Wow, tires. Microfiber tires would be interesting. Microfiber tires. <laughs> oh, 
How nice a ride would that be, Oh, that would be, be so smooth. <laughs> anyway, um, microfiber towels and um, my uh, paint scraper. So, you know, go over it once with the paint scraper, get any of the bigger stuff that might knock off, um, then hit it with the Scotch-Brite and then the microfiber towel after that. And I do all this while the bed is hot. And that's more than enough. Actually, I have to print a decent size space with a raft the first time because it doesn't like to stick still. But after that, whatever residue is left over, that's the only thing I can think it is, is some kind of residue. Once that's done, everything else sticks beautifully. That's good. Yeah. So you guys know I preach hairspray up and down all over the place. So about once every two or three months, um, it'll start to get thick enough where it's actually affecting, um, like the buildup of hairspray will start affecting the, the next print below it. You know, the next print that you do, you can see outlines of the previous print. Because whenever you print something on hairspray, when you pull it off the bed or when it comes off the bed, the hairspray stays on the part. So then if you go and add more hairspray, you can start seeing, you know, seeing it in your next prints. But uh, stuff's water soluble. So like you, I turn my bed on to about 50 or 60 C and let it warm up and then just put a little bit of water on the bed. Let the hairspray uh, uh, dissolve. And um, I used to use um, uh, paper towels to, uh, to mop it up. But uh, at one point I used toilet paper in a pinch because I didn't want to go upstairs and get some paper towels. And oh my God, the toilet paper <clears> made it so much easier. So toilet paper is my thing now. Uh, it takes two or three uh, wipe downs uh, to get all the hairspray off. And then uh, once I do that, the bed looks like brand new. I've got a, um, a, a heat, what, what's it called? A heat treated okay. bed or the, glass the plate. Uh, impact resistant. It's the same kind of glass. Yeah, it's the same kind of glass that they use on glass top stoves. Tempered, yeah, that one. tempered glass. Yeah, tempered. Yes, tempered glass. Okay. Yep. And so it gets all nice and pretty again. And then I lay down my first layer of hairspray and it's ready to go. But I think most of the time just scraping it with the paint scraper to get any of the, of the remaining um, brim or anything else that you print during the print off. And uh, then just putting a little bit more hairspray down for, for the next time. But that's actually a lie. I always clean it before I get ready to use it. That way, any dust and stuff that lays down on the bed um, will get re I can get removed before the next print. So that's pretty cool. Wow. What do you do to clean your bed? Well, I've got a long story involved with mine actually, because when I first got the bed, none of my prints were sticking, right? And so yeah. after looking into it, um, it just people online especially on reddit were preaching up and down painters tape right so you lay down some painters tape and then you print on it and you can get um sometimes two to three prints off of that before your your prints start sticking to the tape and then you have to pull the tape up and redo it again and you have to uh, a lot of cleaning of the the uh the glue Okay. Like it's not it's not painter's tape is not normally a problem, but when you heat it and you reheat it and you reheat it, you end up with a little bits of of residue. And so I was using um glass cleaner and then some of those softer Scotch Bright pads. I still use glass cleaner 
and a little bit of isopropyl alcohol to uh, clean my bed now, but um, I find that I'm not cleaning my bed very much like I was like every third or third or fourth print with the tape. So if you can find a way to level your bed so you're not using tape and cleaning up after it all the time, you want to do that. <laughs> I bet that that did make it quite a bit more difficult um, having to constantly deal with the tape. I'm glad to see you found a way to be able to print without the tape. It's been really, it's been really nice, you know. I bet. Ever since I I asked you of like, yeah, because apparently adjusting my bed to the manufacturer's setting was not correct. <laughs> I th I think every printer's just got its own thing that it tends to like to be set up to. And when you go and look online, everybody has their own way to do it, and I. I think it's it's great that people post that stuff because it gives you stuff to try, but it's really about finding what works for you. Uh, for me, it was hairspray, and uh, Frank will run away uh, like he's in a zombie movie if you get the hairspray near his bed. Oh, so I think it's every pull out everybody kind of has their own way to do it. Near my bed with a freaking <laughs> hairspray, dude. That can will not survive. Um. <laughs> the funny thing about machines and uh, my dad's experience just once again is coming up, but uh, he, he mentioned that, yeah, um, you work with a machine long enough and you start to recognize how it sounds. And so when like his machines were running and the tool was go getting dull or it hit a hard patch, it like, hardened steel harder than it was supposed to be or something like that. You hear it and you recognize it. Oh yeah. And you learn to react according to exactly. how it's Actually, running. I had an episode with that this week with my CNC. So <laughs> yeah, I started the wrong program and the the second I heard something was funny, I slammed the stop button and I caught it before good anything deal. was done. Nice. That's good. That, that, that is called a near-miss <laughs> crash. <laughs> I bet with the CNC, too, crashing is such a bigger issue. At least with our 3D printers, the worst thing we have is is getting um, unindexed on our machines. Yeah. You know? And by design, they're going to be a little bit off after every use, which is why they find home the way they do every time. It'd be nice if they'd remember the home position. I can't tell you how many times I went to go and, and fire up my machine and go to bring the head to a certain position or something like that mm. from startup and know that it starts up thinking it's already yeah. in the home position. So if I push the head somewhere or something like that, then it always crashes. Yeah, the I, I learned that one the hard way myself. So going to have to replace some belts sooner or later because I'm tearing them up yeah. every time it does. Um, my procedure is to the point where I just avoid doing that now. <laughs> it's easier to not have the problem than it is to replace the belt for me. So True. I think it's just the way the, uh, the uh, what's it called? Um, I'm forgetting words. Who was the wizard in the Sorcerer in the Stone? The Sword in the Stone? Yeah, Sword in the Stone. Who's the wizard? Uh... Damn it! You threw me off with Sorcerer in the Stone, and now I can't remember. Oh, no big deal. You you can remove this section. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry, guys. Uh, my my child had an issue. 
Nope, you're fine. Who was the wizard in source the the sword in the stone, Chris? Merlin. Yes, that one. Merlin. Yes, Merlin. Okay, so with the Merlin software, it fires up with assuming home, but it's already sitting at home zero zero. So I think you guys use different different software in your printers, don't you? Um, I don't know. Do you know anything about the actual software on your machine? I don't know anything about what Creelty does with theirs. I know that the, there's upgrades on Thingiverse for for mine that lets you do this and that and the other, but uh, I've I'm I'm an OEM guy, so I'm a little nervous about tweaking things. <laughs> but totally my, mine does have a home position and does have a home button, and it does have a little leveling test, you know, leveling test button too. So it has everything I need to get started. That's good. Yeah, I, I think mine being the just a Chinese make of a, uh, a you know, Chinese clone that they uh, just used the open source Merlin software on mine, which is nice because I I got the the code for it. It's just I could use the Arduino bootload the um, IED or IDE to even upload to my printer the entire software package. Mm. So it's kind of nice being able to have the entire code base for the software that runs your printer. But then again, people like me only nice. manage to screw things up by playing with that, but it's nice to feel powerful. Download the repo and don't touch anything before you load it on. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard not to. A question I've always had about your printer, Andy, um, you, you mentioned you use the Merlin stuff. Um, do you have a, a direct G-code printable area? Like you can stuff in a, a flash drive or something and it'll just print straight from the g-code or do you always have to run it through usb from a no my point printer most of the t- so when you plug in the usb to my printer um it uses a uh, uh so okay so it does have a micro or not a micro a standard usb or sd card slot and that's how i use the or use it most of the time is through the sd card slot and i can just pop it in and then print from that. That's how I usually do it. If I have it hooked up to the printer, if the computer hooked up to the printer through USB, then it just, excuse me, it just registers it as a serial port. And then any commands I send to it through the serial port, it goes straight to the G-code interpreter in Merlin. And so if I plug into it, I could just start firing off G-code to it and it will function and do that. And there are software packages you can get on your computer to turn that setup into a way of driving your printer. Um, what is it? Octoprint does that. You can get Octoprint, I believe, for Android and hook it up to your printer through that method. And then you could use Octoprint to print on your printer. I but, was considering that. Uh, yeah, 90%. Yeah, unless I'm messing with the uh, PID and tuning the head and stuff like that, I have to hook up to the printer because I want to be able to do it manually. Uh, I could just put that into a text file and you know end it with .g code, and the printer will run a PID test and all that other kind of stuff. So I, I can do it that way, but I like I'm a little bit more power hungry. I want to be able to see what it's reporting back and things like that. And so I'll usually I got the old Simplify 3D slicer. Um, has a nice interface to um, a serial interface for a printer 
so that it, it can read the incoming commands from the printer to be able to show you uh, in, a, in a GUI state the current temperatures and stuff like that that your printer is reporting back, as well as being able to just to execute raw G code um, at, at the time. So Simplify 3D is really good for that. Curie doesn't have an interface like that that I'm aware of, but Simplify 3D does. Oh, hmm. nice. I just did some looking, and apparently, yeah, my my printer runs off Marlin also. And oh, do you? Yeah, Marlin 2.05. That's that's one of the newest ones. I just upgraded mine to the 2.0 a little while ago. Yeah. And when I burnt out my board, my old uh, controller board that I was complaining to you guys about, that's when I upgraded to Merlin 2. Hi. Yeah. Well, my, my printer's kind of nice, actually. It has the USB-A slot and it has a micro SD card slot for direct G-code, but then it also has the... Uh, USB type B like you see on you know old printers with the two notches on the corners the square oh, okay. on the corner and it has that for the straight um PC input right to Marlin yeah so that's pretty I cool use, yeah I use that most of the time just straight off the com port from my PC so that's pretty neat um yeah, I didn't know that you uh, that you use that your printer used Marlin. You know what's kind of kind of neat. I don't know if this is much information, but uh, you guys were aware of a project I did last year when I built my own home thermostat. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I used a um, Arduino chip, uh, an Arduino microcontroller to drive the touchscreen and all that other kind of stuff that I programmed for that. But that particular board was the was was the Arduino Mega Twenty Five Sixty. The controller board that at least my printer uses is that board, that same exact board. So I could use an Arduino controller board if I hooked my uh, touch screen and stuff up to it for my thermostat. I could run my thermostat off that, or vice versa. So those <laughs> the the whole idea of the the controllers that are used on our older printers it's it's just so neat it's not special that's the fun thing about it there's nothing special about the controller board it's not you could write your own software if you really wanted to and upload it to that board and that's actually part of the reason it got so inexpensive to get a 3d printer in the last couple of years is because the design has been open source for long enough that people have made their own rendition based off of that open source design and made a little bit of adjustment for their own company and just sell the crap out of it. But all of the gantry machines use that square, um, whatever rail it is that's got the... Uh, so you can put the fittings in it and screw stuff down on it. And they all screw the holes basically in the same place to make the structure for the gantry and all that. It's yeah. actually kind of amusing to see how many companies are doing basically the same design. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, and it's just so inexpensive that anybody can build them now and make a profit off it still. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's really dropped the price of 3D printers nowadays. And I think we're all loving that. 
Yeah, it's kind of like being, for sure. It's kind of like being able to have a Mercedes and maintain it too, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very true. Well, I, I didn't. I got the larger print bread off of print bed. <laughs> Off of your by your recommendation there, Andy. Okay. Uh, three hundred millimeters. That's the same as mine. And um, printing off it, I got used to having all the room to do all the things and all that. Yeah. And then I went and saw my dad's printer, and it felt cramped <laughs> at one hundred and fifty millimeters. It's like, how does anybody do do anything on this? Yeah, I've been really so small. I've been really considering getting a resin printer so I can have some of the benefits that Kevin has, but the bed is just so small on those. But then again, too, when I think about like ninety percent of the things I print are small stuff. So yeah, same here. But I like being able to stretch when I need to. Yeah, like uh, well, and I imagine you do too. That. We talked about how your phone case barely fit on your printer. Yeah. It would not have fit if you had anything smaller than 300 millimeters. Yeah, I would not have been able to print this hairbrush holder on the resin printer. So, What size is your bed? Do you know, Chris? uh, 220 millimeters. 220? That's still one of the bigger ones. Yep. Yeah, that get down well below that. It's... uh, it feels hard. And even if you're printing small stuff, a lot of the times you'll be printing multiples uh, of, of, a, of a particular model, you know, and it's nice to be able to scatter them through the entire bed and be able to print them all on one go. Um, I totally missed it in the stuff that we've done this week, but I created a picture frame hook to go with the uh, um, command strips. Okay. And Unlike the normal hook that comes with a command strip where it sticks out easily an inch, inch and a half off of the wall. Um, I just wanted something that'll hold a picture frame up and um, specifically one where the Velcro won't work because the, the back is recessed enough that the Velcro won't reach to the wall. Okay. And um, so we've got this picture and it's got the wire on the back already. So I just created this little thing that's six millimeters maybe nine maybe okay and um it's low profile enough that we tested it and it'll work great and now i'm printing off a half dozen of them so that they're available if my wife needs them for anything else you have them on already yeah yeah and that's really one of the beautiful things about the 3D printer anyway. You know, you do the design, and if it's small enough, you can run off a hundred of them if you need them. Yeah. And that's where uh, small companies are getting value out of the 3D printer. Um, we were talking about the clips for cars and all of that stuff. If you can design those things... Design it once and then print off a thousand of them for minimal cost, then turn around and sell those, then it's all profit. Yeah. All you're paying for is electricity and material. Part of me considered the thought of not just uploading to Thingiverse, but every time I made something to upload it to, to be the part that I build myself 
to put it on eBay and then just let it sit. And of course I'm using that part, but that way it's there. And if I ever get a sell, I could sit and print one off real quick and there you go. Ship it off. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Bob's your uncle. Yeah. It's a passive income on stuff you're already doing. Yeah. And since it's your own design, nobody's going to bark. Nobody has you. any room to complain. Yeah. 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 Well, and say we go back to what Ford just did, where they released a bunch of STLs for their cars. There's no reason you can't take those STLs because they're in the public domain now. Yeah. Take the STL and sell the prints, the printed parts online. Somebody doesn't have a printer, but they don't want to pay the dealership price to have the dealership do it. There might be. You run it off yourself do a little post and ship it to them. Yeah. There might be something in the licensing about that. You will want to double check that. Yeah. They, well, I would imagine. They should have thought about that before they put the STLs in the public domain. That is true. But I I wouldn't be surprised if they got some kind of licensing thing for people making money off their STLs. They they might look the other way for a little bit, but if it becomes a problem, like uh, music, music pirating did for a while. Yeah, I will say that if they felt like they were going to make an issue out of it, then they would have cared about losing money to printers in the first place. Because even even though we're a small population right now, um, somebody who's got a car and they want to print something off, they download the STL from Ford from the Ford website, and it's got all the right specs and they just print it off and run it themselves, then they're saving 20, 30 bucks, even more for this printed part on their car. And that adds up as lost revenue if Ford was going to worry about that. Do we know what kind of parts they put up? Like, I could see um, them putting up, like taking parts that they are no longer running themselves or have discontinued themselves. And putting up so that they've got some, so that they can say, hey, we're doing this, you know, uh, buy our vehicles because down the road, you're definitely going to be able to print your own stuff. But yet the STLs they put up are stuff that they're no longer producing themselves. So it's not something they would lose money on. I don't know what, what stuff they did put up that. Uh, well, I can see like aftermarket things like being able to put in different stereos and uh things of things of that nature you know i know that um i had to pay a good amount of money for a piece of plastic to be able to put a dueled in stereo in my subaru yeah out of oem and it was just a a large piece of plastic is all it was (laughs) and it cost me 50 bucks yeah that can be quite expensive you know, they. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, uh, of the news release for when Ford did that, and they did say that they they released open source CAD files, not just STLs, but the full CAD files for wow. 3D printing a lot of their truck accessories. Wow! Uh, I'm seeing cup holders that go on the center console. Yeah, so these um, don't look like components of the vehicle itself; they look like extras accessories things like that yeah and that would make sense because that's where most of the aftermarket places make their money so but still you know 
we're talking about stuff that is designed, if not by the people that designed like the center console, somebody close to them yeah. and has access to test fit everything in the blueprints. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, somebody might like this accessory. So that is putting true. it up. But that is, yeah, uh, that is pretty nice. Yeah. Phone mounts. I would like to see uh, to take a look at some of these STL files and see if they if they built them for three D printing or if these were built for um, uh, being uh, injection molded. Because you know, whenever we design something, we usually try to design without supports and stuff like that. And we know some of the weaknesses of three D printing. You know, you have to beef up certain areas of the 3d print because you know they're going to be weaker just because the nature of the print itself uh where you wouldn't get some of those things in um you know blow molding but uh some of those ones that are molded also has their own things they need to compensate for so i'm i'm would be curious if these are are stuff that was originally designed you know in cad but were designed not initially for 3d printing but they're just releasing them or if they actually went in with 3d printing in mind to design these that's a good point um injection molding is a completely different beast than uh, additive manufacturing yeah that is true but the models they would make for it would be for cnc just cutting the molds themselves so yeah i don't know looking at some of these cup holders and things if they're one piece uh that would be quite difficult to print without tons and tons of supports hmm. then again too though maybe i just don't like supports i see a lot of 3d prints out there that use tons of supports and you know those those people printing are more than happy to deal with those kind of things so maybe it's my own just don't just mind like cutting them. it off you know, that yeah that's a kevin kind of question i think because i i don't like supports i try to avoid yeah. And Kevin's stuck with SLA being having to have supports no matter what he does. If I have to have supports, I feel like a failure in some way. <laughs> and I find myself in the middle of the road. You know, there's some things that are just going to need supports, and I do it at the the closest overhang I'm comfortable with to uh, to the test. There's an overhang test that test the angle and find the right spot for it and i'm good to go yeah it's I agree. um the way cura does supports um i actually like like they have this cross hatch that goes down and then the support and then at the top of the support is a cross hatch and then a layers width so it's not put onto the cross hatch so I guess aggressively is all the other layers. Yeah. So th they're relatively easy to separate and pull out. Yeah. Um, that's actually, I do use my exacto knives for that quite often, but that's as much as getting something in there are little ways to separate the, the cross hatch from my part as anything. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It's not a hard cut. It almost kind of makes me wish I had an IDEX printer or something like that with multiple heads. That way it could print the supports in a different material. Like if you're printing PLA, print your supports out of um, PETG and then have them butt mm -hmm. up against each other because the plastics don't mix. So you get a okay. perfect support. 
it's like it's like using the water soluble supports without having to fight with them being so uh, hydrophobic or not hydrophobic. Okay. What's the opposite of that? They suck up all the water. <laughs> yeah, I wish they were right. hydrophobic, but uh, <laughs> they wouldn't really be uh, water soluble at that point either. <laughs> no kidding. But uh, you know, being able to to print just with a different material. Um, as your supports, you would be able to come up with supports that won't gnarl your print at all and, and will essentially just fall off because the plastics don't adhere to each other. But I'm not going to get a new printer anytime soon. And the ones I have been eyeballing are just single heads. I don't know if I want to get a like a tool changer style printer or an IDEX. If I was to get one to add multiple heads, it'd probably be more like an IDEX printer. I've been playing with the thought of just getting a second FDM <laughs> would be it would make you feel a lot better when your primary printer gets broken down because there's nothing more crappy than having your primary printer fail you and then you suddenly need a 3D printed part to fix your printer. <laughs> yeah, that kind of sucks. <laughs> well, to be fair, Andy, you could always just send me the file and I'll have it ready. Yep, that is definitely in the toolbox now that you got one. I'll tell you that a hundred percent. Living just down the street, you could you just you just drive a couple of blocks and there you go. Yeah. Kind of nice. Well, you guys would be number two and three. My brother-in-law lives closer than you, and I can send him the file and say, "Hey, can you print this off for me?" And it would help me get my printer back up. <laughs> That's good. That's good. But yeah. Um. Now that I think about it, though. My printer doesn't have a whole lot of stuff that would need something printed. Like it's all cast aluminum. Yeah. Or machined aluminum. I ran into the 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 problem not really problem, but I, I'll call it a problem of when I switched over to my new my new head here, the H two O, um I didn't have a fan mount, a parts cooling fan mount for it. And in order to make a fan mount for it, I needed the printer. So I wound up getting a big box fan and putting it in front of the printer to be able to print without a um, part cooling fan so that I could 3D print the part cooling fan mount. (laughs) And it worked good enough. The initial idea was, okay, I'll just print it without a part cooling fan. I'm sure it'll look like garbage, but it will at least work. And then I can put the fan in place and then reprint it again, right? But Print a good one? Yeah, but uh, it worked out okay. Huh. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. And, of course, from there is the option for casting your tools, too. Oh, there's that um, whole endeavor there. Yeah, lost wax casting. Yeah. yeah. BLA. Uh, well, it, you can do the lost wax if your printer isn't working. Well, we all we all remember our uh, our old friend Dave. He used to uh, do lost foam casting with aluminum, and that was one thing that made him a really great mechanic. Uh, was there was a ditch which he was fixing one time where the the there's the, the there's a handle that would drop the the blade of the ditch which right you'd just crank this handle and it would drop the blade and that part of it had had broken and so what he did was he just cut what he wanted out of foam and cast it in aluminum and it there it was ditch which worked 100 percent. he didn't even have to it it was like the same day kind of thing he didn't even have to try to you know 
or sh ship in a special part from uh, across the country or nothing. It was great. That is cool. If you need a part that's more sturdy than plastic, then print the the shape and drop it into sand and do the lost medium printing with that because our plastics will evaporate just as well as styrofoam or wax or any of that other stuff. So not necessarily true for PLA. If you're going to do the lost, the lost casting with PLA, it has to be burned out in a furnace. You can't just pour in the hot aluminum or whatever and expect it to burn it out. Um, I thought that was how it worked when I tried it and then had a lot of failures and looked into it more. And no, it, it's the putting the whole mold into a kiln and burning out the PLA is a very critical step <laughs> to the whole thing. Wow. And they and, don't say any of that in the videos I've watched. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I would look into it a little bit before before trying to just pour uh, molten aluminum onto PLA and then being disappointed at how PLA doesn't exactly just burn off very quickly, even with molten aluminum on top of it. But uh, um, I so you say PLA? How do TPU and PETG work? I don't know. Are they okay? No, I, I don't know on those ones. I never really researched too much about um, about TPU, or not necessarily TPU, but PETG, I could see being one that they might, you know, try. But PLA liquefies so easily, it's easier to get it out of the mold once you've made the mold. Now, I use uh, Plaster of Paris uh, to build okay. my molds. And, um, and then I put them in, in my kiln. The only trouble I ran into is, my kiln is only meant to hold the crucible. And my crucible is only like a three inch by nine inch tube. And so it's very okay. small. So anything I put, any kind of mold I build has to be able to fit into my kiln in order to work. And so that leaves me with only being able to make small parts, which at first is fine because that's all I would personally probably use it for is small stuff. But then I started running into, and, and that works good for burning it out. It works just fine. But then the problem I started running into is aluminum viscosity is very high. <laughs> and so when you're part that's only, you know, an inch to two inches, you know, large, uh, you're not going to get any detail in it at all. Just the viscosity of aluminum is just too damn high. And I've seen some people... <laughs> Talk about like vacuuming the air out of it immediately after the pour. And, and I've tried that and only messed up my vacuum chamber. And so I've just, it's just been kind of a loss for me personally. The only thing I have used it for with aluminum casting since I, I personally tried experimenting with it is doing the sand mold casting where the, the two, um, what do you call it, where you build two boxes. Uh, of, of sand and you pack the sand in, into place and then you pack your mold on top and then you remove the mold and then pour it that way. That does seem to work for larger stuff, but I never really have a need for larger stuff. But the thing that Chris just described sounds great. All of the um, lost medium casting I've seen, they do the two boxes, okay, but they, they leave the mold inside and, um, are still packed in there real well, I guess. It kind of depends on what you're casting. Um, if you don't get a lot, to use the term that we've used before, if you don't get a very high resolution, 
then you might as well design it so you can pull out your part anyway. Um, the one video that I've seen, the guy was getting enough detail with what he was casting, though, that you could see the uh, print lines. That's impressive. So to do that, you need a really, really fine casting sand. That's what that is. And there's a couple ways you can do that. You can buy it, or you can make yourself a series of sieves and a offset motor that shakes them all and you just throw reg mm -hmm. regular sand in there and then that will sort out the various uh, grits of sand till you have a fine casting sand. I don't think you could use pure aluminum for that either because of viscosity. I, I know you can build a amalgams of like adding bismuth to the aluminum to lower the viscosity to get certain kinds of detail. Uh, that's what I wound okay. up doing. And it did kind of work, but I don't know. It, it For me, it just became such a hassle. I kind of gave up on it mm. for a little while. If I ever need something that is slightly larger, like you know, five or six inches worth that I can just put into a, a sandbox and you know, pack it that way and then remove the mold and pour it, then, then that is effective. But for me, I can't really do, I haven't really been successful in any other way. But then again, I'm an amateur don't really know what I'm doing. So that's, I'm sure, most of <laughs> yeah. the problem. Well, the thing, I, I know the the type of aluminum Dave used was always old car parts. from. So that from, probably would have been pure aluminum with from, the heads yeah, and things. Yeah, it was always from other cast aluminum stuff already in a car. So it would uh -huh. have been aluminum, aluminum heads, um amounts etc et and i think the parts dave was making were larger too though right yeah where the viscosity wouldn't be an issue anymore at that point you know yeah he was always making bigger stuff yeah so in other words not beer cans going to beer mugs i don't know my entire aluminum supply has been nothing but coke soda cans that i've melted down so and i have a variety of both so I got a bunch of old car parts, and I got cans I could melt. Uh, I've been considering doing kind of both when I get into it. I, but I can tell the people out here that if you're considering on doing this, to maybe can reconsider on the oven that you get, the, the kiln itself. If you're going to go cheap and get the kiln that that is the actual heater space is only the size of the crucible, I would recommend getting a kiln that you could do much larger things in um, because if you are doing a smaller part and you need to burn out the model um, to burn out your mold, uh, having a kiln that you can actually fit that into is, is definitely better oh. than something that is just the crucible by itself. That's good to know. I was actually going to make my own kiln. That would probably be the better way to go. I mean, they're simple as hell. Yeah, well, it was going to be simply taking a, a couple of old uh, cylinders, you know, like an old uh, compressor tank, you know, and putting like a, a five gallon inside like a 15 gallon or something like that. From there, y'all talking about that reminded me of this process that some makers out there have used for post to clean up the surface of their parts where it's a 
a vibrating bowl with some kind of silicate material in it, probably sand, something like that. And the bowl vibrates. So you drop the part in it for an hour and um, it gets, comes in contact with all that sand. And when they pull it out, it's smooth. They don't have to sand it down to smooth it out or anything like that. Oh, really? And um, in the end, I just decided that I don't care how smooth my parts are. <laughs> as long as they do the job, I'm okay. On, on any and, parts uh, that I've needed to be smooth, I always did the, the paint, sand, paint, sand method. to make okay. them, Or paint, sand, paint method to make them smooth. But... That idea sounds really neat. Was it just like a, a sonic cleaner that they would fill with silica or something like that? Um, I can't even remember. I'll, I found it on, I just came across it on YouTube. I'm sure you can find one. That would be neat. Um, there was a guy who dropped some stones that he had picked up on the side of the road sort of thing. And he put them in one of these things for a year. Oh, wow. And just let it run. And uh, they came out like they looked like they had been buffed. Oh, really? And shined. Yeah, they, they were some pretty stones. Huh. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I think that uh, we've actually reached the end of this episode. Sounds good. Uh, kind of exhausted on the tools idea, but I'm glad that we did an episode two. Yeah, there was quite a bit left over that we needed to to rehash over. So I'm glad we did and the second episode about. on it. Yeah. And I'm sorry that Kevin just, you know, isn't as into it as we are. He can do it with his SLA printer. He just doesn't <laughs> care enough. <laughs> Not on that subject anyway. Oh, but then the three of us have always been tool guys anyway. Yep, that is you know, true. When you think about it. The first things I ever built for my printer were tools for my printer, parts for my printer. So There you go. It makes it quite fun. That and being able to fix things around the house. And I'm always about making tools that you need. Like before 3D printing, I've got the the box of miscellaneous sockets and screwdrivers that suck and you know, things like that that you could chop up to make the tool that you need uh, oh, yeah. without hurting your good tools. You know, I've got all sorts of, you know, ha- have like an open end wrench that was too fat that I sliced in half long ways so that I can get it to fit where I need it to fit. All sorts of stuff like that. And so making tools has been always been a thing. And now having a 3D printer be able to do it definitely opens up a lot of doors. Oh, yeah. And I, I've kind of generally considered myself a DIY guy anyway. And there have been times Chris has seen me, I'm working on my car and there isn't a tool that does the thing I need, but I can go to the hardware store and get three feet of steel pipe and make my own tool to do this one thing. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think he was ever worried about me getting the job done in his driveway. (laughs) you were the only person that used my driveway with the least amount of time (laughs) and that was to change out a clutch so yeah that's that's no small job oh that took a weekend trouble yeah that that was i spent one day 
trying to get the left control arm out of the uh, transmission. Okay. And that's what the pipe was for because the axle. Yep. And we went and bought a pipe and cut a couple notches out of it to hit the, to go through the gears and hit the axle from the other side. Yeah. Oh, because, because it was flexing and the, uh, the slide hammer wasn't getting it out. Okay. And I, I would, you know, pulling on it, wasn't getting it out because there was enough play. So, um, yeah, we, we went and got the pipe and I just cut it down and there was a, a shaft that went through the transmission. So you could see inside of the gearbox and there's this shaft going through it. Okay. I was like, Oh man. So to push this thing out, I need something to go around that shaft. I know exactly. Push out the other like the, the differential gear, right? That's got yep. the shaft yeah, that comes through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like a spider gear, I guess, right there on the transmission because it's all front wheel drive. Okay. Yep. Anyway. Um, so you cut the notch out so you can put the pipe and it'll go past that and still make contact yeah. with the butt end of the CV. That's cool. Yeah. Yep. And That's push cool. it out the other end. And, and then I gave the pipe to Chris because I really had nowhere to store it or any <laughs> use for it. Still, still got it. It's sitting over with my uh, brooms and things right there. <laughs> nice. And I hope you get more use out of it than I ever would have. <laughs> nice. Actually, I used it as a uh, I used it as a as a, as a breaker bar to change the timing belt on my wife's car. So that's good. Well, there you go. Yep. And steel pipe is good for that. Yep. My dad always used the aluminum pipe from chain link fence and all that, and it does okay. But, but you get a lot of flat or play on the pipe itself and then it flexes and <laughs> yeah i mean at that point you probably want to use the oxycetylene torch to get the thing off anyway but can't be tight if it's a liquid i use this after well sometimes you'll just use the oxyacetylene torch to heat something up so that it gets real tight and breaks up any of the uh, oxidized stuff on the threads yeah you know, yeah that's uh I can see that. It's a it's an old mechanic trick. You you heat it up really, really, really good, and then you spray it down with PB blaster or penetrating oil, and it kind of sucks all that oil down the threads and breaks mm-hmm. it up that way. And then you can hit it with an impact wrench or something, and it'll start coming loose. Of course, you want to do that after it cools off, or else torsion. <laughs> no, of course, we'll break yeah. it off. Yeah. <laughs> then you got a bigger problem. On that note, we're gonna call it. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone for listening. Um, if you liked this episode, please give us all the stars. Your podcast vendor will let you. And if you would like to join the conversation, you can do so on our Facebook group, Amateur 3D Pod. Until next time, we're going offline.